Maine lobster, filet mignon, just some of the best fish you can get, right? Best food you can possibly have. And for whatever reason, the chef just continues to cook with spam, right? He just uses the spam over and over again. And you're looking going, come on, what is this guy doing? The owner's giving him all these pieces. Let's go. Use the, use the good food, right? But at what point is it the owner's responsibility? At what point is it Lou's responsibility to go into the, uh, the kitchen and go, hey, dude, stop using the fucking spam. Hello and welcome to The Red Line, presented by Isles Fix, your only daily New York Islanders newsletter. Subscribe at islesfix.substack.com. Happy New Year 2024. We turn a page. It's a new chapter for us here at The Red Line. It's a new chapter for the Islanders, or is it, as we see another uh, overtime loss, another blown lead, this time on the road in the Mile High City versus the Colorado Avalanche. I am David Tuckman, joined by my partner in crime. It is Phil Farber. You can follow us on X at Tuck on Sports at Phil's Facts. Uh, we've got three games to cover. Um, we've got the possible impending return of uh, Mr. Pellick on defense. We've got some, another healthy scratch for Pierre Engvall. A lot to cover today, Phil. Absolutely. But here's the good news. The Islanders have yet to trail in 2024. It's another game where they didn't trail at all and they lost. But, you know, glass half full, haven't trailed at all in 2024. Let's keep that going. Yeah, I want to I want to try to be positive as much as I can because uh, I, I've really been venting the last few days. I mean, I feel like if I did this podcast with you two days ago, it just would have been venomous. Uh, yeah, just, we'd be wild. Absolute fire coming out of my, my head uh, following the, uh, the Pittsburgh loss, the second loss to Pittsburgh in two days, um, in three days, sorry. Um, yeah, listen, you know, we, we were talking about DEFCON earlier on in the season. People, you know, you wonder, okay, where are you right now? And I'd say I'm DEFCON 3 because there are some issues, but the return of Pelix got me encouraged. And I think at the end of the day, when you look at our coaching, right, Phil, and you look at the fact that our, going into our season, our top two defensemen were without a doubt Ryan Pollock and Adam Pelic. And they have both been out for an extended period of time. And yet this team has been able to stay afloat. It hasn't been overly impressive at times. Um, we haven't wowed anybody. But to, you know, to, to quote a lot of people on, on X and Twitter, we, this team only has 10 regulation losses. Yeah, three of them in their last, like, 14 days. But they only have – and that's, that is with a patchwork defense and an Ilya Sorokin playing – Poor for him. Yeah, I wanted to throw this out because this, is, this was this was fascinating. Metro standings point since 12-1. Okay, since December 1st, Carolina, 22 points in 18 games. Islanders, 21 points in 15 games. Washington, 20 points in 17 games. Philly, 20 points in 14 games. The Devils, 19 and 15. Pittsburgh, 19 and 16. The Rangers, 7th, are 18 and 16. And Columbus with 14 and 16. But since December 1st, the only team that's put together more points in the Metro is Carolina, and that's because they've played three more games. So do the, and do the Islanders have we've the- been missing Pellick since the end of November, and we've been missing Pollock since December 7th. So I pride you- myself on having good math, but I, I, point percentage-wise, is, is, are the Devils the only one better than us, or is that, are we the best there? Points percentage-wise, I want to say it's – no, it's not the Devils. Devils, because we're 21 and 15, they're 19 and 15. It's Philly, who's 20 and 14. Uh, and Philly has finally started to bleed a little bit. They are winless in their last three. They had an overtime loss against the Kraken, a couple of regulation losses against Calgary and Edmonton. So hopefully they're coming back down to earth here. But that's amazing. If you want to go by if you want to go by points percentage, we're second. And if you want to go by points, we're second in terms of points accumulated. Uh, and so either way you cut it. That's basically without Scott Mayfield, without Adam Pellick. With so Ryan played Pollock. a bunch of those games. Mayfield did play, a, you know, let's call half of those games. But Pollock from December seventh, that game against Columbus and on, he has been out, and Pellick's missed all those games. That's that's impressive. I mean, listen, maybe 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 we're completely wrong about Lambert. Maybe this guy's coach of the year. How did he? <laughs> no, do it? I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that. Far. <laughs> I wouldn't go that. Are they far. winning? Are, are they winning in spite of of uh, our coach? Are they staying afloat despite the coach, or is he? Or maybe let's try 
to keep an open mind because you and I pride ourselves on admitting when we're wrong. Are we wrong? The fact that this team is actually in a playoff push with Ilya Sorokin playing the way he is, and I know the Sorokin lovers out there and the truth is out there are going to be like, yeah, but he's getting no help. Fine. Okay, yes. He's now, getting scoring help. He's getting scoring help. So I wouldn't say he's getting no help. Right. I don't, I don't think we are scoring... doing a lot of good for him defensively. Some of these goals still can't go in. Like that overtime winner, I thought on the fourth goal on the power play, he completely took himself out of the net. I mean, the first goal versus Pittsburgh the other night. The, and the second goal. Yeah, you gotta you gotta defend your crease. Butch Goring said it as well, but it's like like the the that's a two on one, yes. And everybody's like, Oh, but it's a cross eye special, he's gotta move. Not really, because the guy who had the puck was on the goal line in the corner. Right. He went like, to dive out and try to poke check the puck. He missed, and then he's flat on his stomach and he he takes himself out of position, he has no chance. And then the second wall one, I know it deflects off of Mayfield's skate, but it's deflecting from about ten feet out. And his five holes just wide open. It goes right through him. It didn't okay, even so look Phil, like he was tracking that puck well to begin with. Okay, so let's 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 we, we you and I harp on this a lot. I know people on on on, on X do as well. Uh, it's very loud. Let's be open minded just for a moment, and let's look at this team and go, okay, no Pelic for extended period, no Pollock for extended period. Scott Mayfield has either been out or played injured for much of the season. Finally, looks back. It looks like he's back, and he actually looked good uh, the last game versus Pittsburgh. Um, I does the coaching staff actually deserve credit? Are we wrong? Could we be wrong here? No, I, I think that this team is more talented than people think. I just think they're I think they're winning on talent to a large degree over here. Schematically, is there anything that you've noticed that's wildly different about the power play other than that they're that they're scoring, right? It's not like they've got all these brilliant, you know, a couple of them, right? You know, the the passing sequence between Barzell Nelson and Paul Mary, a couple passes to the bumper with Horvat that have worked out for them. But right last night, the power play goal, it was just kind of a, an individual effort by a very talented goal scorer in Brock Nelson. I, I, to me, that's not, you're not coached to do that. It's just Brock Nelson's a smart player. He sees a lot of space there. He could blow by McCarr and Taze. He doesn't, he scores the goal. I think that a lot of their winning has come on the backs of just, you know, their higher end players stepping up their game. Bo but Horvat had does, what, like the third to most points absolutely. in December. But do we do we give the coaching staff and have you and I do we have blinders on? I just want to hey, listen, let's 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 make sure we're fair, right? And I always kind of pride ourselves on doing this. Let's be fair. To me, the power play has no reason why it shouldn't be good. I mean, you've got Barzal, who's one of the best players in the league at zone entries. You know, after yeah. Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, McDavid, Jack Hughes. I'm not sure if there's a player. Maybe there's one or two others, and I can't remember off the top of my head. After those three, I'm not sure if there's a player in the league who's better at zone entries, which is absolutely imperative. You've got to get the puck in the zone to set it up, right? That's mm-hmm. number one. You want a great power play, you've got to get somebody to get the puck in the zone. You know, Toronto's yeah. got Mitch Marner. They've got a handful of players. Nylander, obviously. Yeah. Um, you've got the the power play quarterback, right? Which every team needs. We've got Dobson, who is arguably one of the best in the league at this point at the, at the power play. He's doing great. He's got a cannon. He moves the puck well. He facilitates. The confidence is there. You've got Bo Horvat. You know, he can win faceoffs. He can score. You've got Brock Nelson. He can score. You've got Palmieri, who's dirty. I mean, this power play has no reason why it shouldn't succeed, and it has. They're finally moving the puck, which is making me excited. The one thing I want to do ask I want to ask you though, something that we didn't have last year was Dobson. Dobson's the confidence clearly wasn't there. It is this series playing phenomenally well. Do we give Dobson the credit or do we give the coaching staff the credit? Or both? Yeah, I guess you could give both. I could you know, you could maybe say that they're putting him in a spot to be successful. They're wearing him out though. I mean his his play overall has slowed. And I think no Hickey doubt, no out doubt. The broadcast, do they have a choice? I yeah, mean, I mean, <laughs> at this point, well, especially in a game where Bortuzzo leaves halfway through, then, you know, no, like, you know, once once that happened, he was going to rack up 28 minutes. But you had a couple of those last year moments, especially on the power play uh, where Sorokin had to make a stop and a breakaway from uh, I think it was O'Connor. Yeah, yeah, the pass. To, there was the it was kind of a honestly, pass, a leaky game from Barzal. Barzal gives Barzal gives Dobson a terrible pass. Dobson's got about a millisecond to make a play. And he just passes. And then it. he makes a worse pass, though. Yeah, he passes it in the high slot instead of right across the blue line. And he wheels yeah. around and he just gives it to O'Connor. And, you know, they're both like, oh, shit. <laughs> and they, yeah, they, they didn't really get back in time, but, but credit to Sorokin for, for a big save there. 
Yeah, which well, ultimately, basically ultimately didn't even matter because Colorado would end up scoring like a minute and a half later after a phantom penalty call on Mike Riley. Yeah, we can get into the refereeing a little bit. You know, you and I don't like to complain about the referees, but sometimes I, I, I think it's worth it. Anyway, I just want to make sure that we're always... And I say this to the fans as well. I think a lot of times we get into a narrative where, you know, you love Sorokin, Sorokin's always good no matter what happens. And you just, you have these blinders on where you can never see, be like, oh, wow, okay, listen, I love Sorokin. I think he's an elite goalie. I'm glad we have him on our team. But, man, he needs to be better. Barzal is an elite player. He's one of the best players in the world. He's amazing at what he does. Sometimes he has bad games. And, and yeah, he, I got, think, he got benched last night. Which at the end of the game. We can get over that in a second. Um, sure. But the coaching, I just want to make sure that we have open eyes. Go, okay, hey, is he improving? Is the guy learning anything? Is he doing anything? Is he getting better? Or are we just kind of like, we thought we thought he sucked last year. We go into the season. He's made a couple of, play, a couple of decisions that we don't like. And now no matter what, he sucks. No matter what, Lane Lambert is absolutely terrible. By the way, who's improving me? I finally did not call him Brad. I called him Lane. Right, there you go. Listen, I I think you look at a lot of the underlying issues, right? Number one, penalty kill. And they haven't done anything in terms of trying to change up personnel there. I think that's a big problem. And it, last night was another game where the penalty kill sunk them. Cost them a point, right? So, you know, and, and those points all add up. Like, you know, if you want to talk about points that they've lost because of the penalty kill, you're probably at like eight or nine already. The shots against per game. We are tied with the Sharks for the most shots allowed per game. Now, Part of that is a function of the amount of time we spend with the lead. Like, I looked at the list. I think the Boston Bruins are, like, eighth to last or something, which was kind of surprising. It's like 32 and change. We're at 35 and change. But again, like, you know, as Shana pointed out in her article, the teams that have led the most include the Islanders and the Boston Bruins. So if you're playing with the lead a lot, then you're going to be absorbing a lot of shots, especially in third periods when teams are kind of chasing it. So that's not necessarily surprising, but it's an area that needs to get better the amount of blown multi-goal leads and the fashion in which they did it in last night, right? We get a two-goal lead. It was gone in less than four minutes, right? And and on plays that just look like a, you know, a group of players that are disorganized, right? On the goal that made it three to two, I think that was the one right after the power play. But on the penalty kill, and, and Dobson's not a guy who usually kills penalties, he just abandons his post in the defensive zone, chases a guy to the point and leaves a vacant you know, a guy completely open to make a play and boom, boom, two passes and it's in the net. And then Clutterbuck on the next sequence on the true angle. I don't know why he's just parked out all the way at the bottom of the zone next to Mayfield, not covering the point man at all. Everyone else is covered and Clutterbuck's just kind of floating there and Drew Rand has a wide open shot. So I've, I've not noticed, the greatest goal I've ever seen. Yeah, I've noticed this about Cal. Um, Cal is currently, I, I believe, our 12th best forward. Um, I, I do think he has more value than Wallstrom or Matt Martin, but uh, the Wallstrom people are like, whoa, what are you saying? How can you say that? Um, but, okay. The thing I will say about Cal is, and this was concerning, and I, and I, I tweeted this last night, um, his, his, his physical skills are obviously declining. But last night... Or his night, mental skills. That's my... <laughs> yeah, last night I, I tweeted this. I said, the decision to make a pass at the red line in a tie game... 25 seconds left. Is nonsensical. First of all, I can question, you know, Lambert's decision to put him on the ice in the first place in a tie game with 25 seconds left. But you go look at that and go, if you're a Cal Clutterbuck and they, you go, okay, coach wants me on the ice, right? It's like, listen, with, when Ross gets put on the ice, Ross knows what his job is. Oh, okay, coach wants me to go fight that guy. Right. You, you understand what your job is. And Cal, for, for you know, to support him, He's always kind of understood what his job was, right? This is my job. And I don't understand how you're put on the ice with 45 seconds left in the game. What's your job? Why do you think they put you on the ice and not Horvat, Brock Nelson, and, and Barzal? What get was the, the job? Deep. Get the point. It was get the point and get to overtime. Clearly, right? That's yep. your job. Get the fucking point, okay? Pardon my language, everybody. But get yeah. the point. Um and then he makes that play. And then to compound the error, and it ended up not going in the net, and there was already a penalty called. But if you watch that last play where Nishushkin comes down and splits our defense, it makes a great play, and then Sorokin makes a great save. Callis actually ignores the next player back. 
So we have two defensemen on Nishushkin. Give him a chance. Give, give, give Valerie credit. Made a great play. Our defense obviously wasn't ready I for I think it. you need to back up a little bit here. He okay. ignores the fact. Our D were changing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, even wor- it's even worse than everyone thinks it is. Like, there's... I watched that play again this morning, and there's about three things wrong. Number one, no one is really pressuring Cal there. He has the red line. He could easily just flip around and throw it all the way deep, and then this thing probably just ends 20 seconds later. That's number one. Well, then then we've got a legitimate chance. I mean, then maybe, hey, maybe we lose 58% of the time. But once there's a power play, I was like, oh, this game's over. Right, this game's over, right? Then number two, he doesn't identify that I think it was Dobson and Riley were going off for a change, or Dobson, Boldick, whoever it was. They were going off. The reason why Romanov and Mayfield were so flat-footed because they had just gotten onto the ice by the point that Nachushkin had a full head of steam going downhill. They barely had a chance to even get their bearing. So he doesn't identify that the D are changing. And then even if you make a good pass to Pajot, which it was a terrible pass into his skates, Pajot skating at full speed, you have to lead him into the pass. Don't throw it at his feet where Nachushkin could just easily, you know, kind of tip the puck and take it away. You're leading Pajo directly into two players. Pajo's only move at that point because they've got two people who are going to stand them up at the at the line would be to dump it in anyways. So yeah, it pa- would have served absolutely no purpose to give it to Pajo regardless. Just, just understand understand what your role is. Listen, like, I mean, if that's Barzal, Horvat, and Nelson, and they make a bad play because they're trying to score a goal, it's a different story. You understand why you're out there. What is your role? Do your job, like Bill Belichick used to always say. Well, something that's something that the Trotz-led teams did so well was, what's your role? The reason those Islander teams did well was everybody played a role and understood what their role was. Cal, you're on the ice with 45 seconds left. What's your role there? Now, to compound the error even more, I will say, he comes back. He tries to bust his ass to come back. And he back-checks like a rookie. He back-checks like a 15-year-old, okay, playing youth hockey. He literally goes after Valerie Nichushkin rather than the next player, who was Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon. And who almost scored was Nathan McKinnon after on a tap-in, right? Right. He, I mean, Cal literally goes after the guy with the puck, who's already covered by two players, ends up on the right side, on the other side of the post, on the side of the net, and Nathan McKinnon is left there. Yeah. I, I just These are the kind of things where I'm going, that's just a mental, that's a cognitive mistake from a seasoned veteran. So then I kind of look at that and I go, okay. Um, I mean, there's just so many things that Cal seems to do that just don't make any sense. On penalty kills, he overextends himself. He chases far too much. Um doesn't kind of pounce when he needs to, like a Simon Holmstrom does. Holmstrom is really good. Holmstrom will pounce when it's there, but he picks his spots. He doesn't just like... Is, his shot is ridiculous. Oh, my God. We'll talk we about need that. to get that kid shooting at least twice a game. Once he's, a, got, he's shooting once a game on average. That, guy, that release by the way, is... His, I mean, this is going to sound like a crazy He's got a better thing. shot than Wallstrom. All the Wallstrom lovers out there. Forget Wallstrom. He has a better <laughs> wrist shot in terms of just like pure pinpoint accuracy and power. Than Brock Nelson. It sounds like lunacy, but I, I truthfully think that he has a higher upside shot than Brock Nelson. Yeah, Nelson's a, a better pure goal scorer. Better but... pure goal scorer because he's he's able to get himself into scoring areas a lot better. He's able to go to the middle of the ice and find himself in spots. Yeah, he's you... a better skater. He's also a better skater than Holmstrom. He's more experienced than Holmstrom. Like if we can get Holmstrom's Holmstrom, by the way, Holmstrom's better at breakaways. Of, Holmstrom is better. He listen. He finishes half his rest chances. I think is what Mike Kelly said. He's he's been he's been fantastic. Yeah, um, we're we're, we're everywhere. Okay, but so I, I want to wrap. The, I want to put a bow on on the Cal Clutterbuck thing. So Cal to me is a little bit worrisome because I feel like he's almost a player who has not. He's not adjusting his game to the fact that his skills have declined, and he's still kind of everywhere, and he's Mr. Aggressive, and he tries to get in your face on these penalty kills, and he's getting overexposed because he's overextending himself. And then the worrisome wanna, thing is... I want to bring this back to coaching also, though, right? Well, like, why right? Why not make a change? Right. We spoke about this at the beginning of the year, right? Anyone who had the expectation that Martin and Clutterbuck were going to be able to go 100 games deep, right? You need to play 100 games if you want to win the Stanley Cup. That's just the math. Yes. There is no possible way that anyone could have the expectation that Clutterbuck should play every game. So why is he playing every game, right? At this point, Martin's healthy. It's less of a load management situation with him and more that he's just flat out lost his roster spot to Hudson Fashing. But let Martin play a couple more games and get Clutterbuck some rest. Maybe those are the two guys that need to be in like a 70-30 platoon. 
right? You get Clutterbuck in there every, and if you're worried about like, well, he's a penalty killer. What about the penalty kill? He sucks at the penalty kill. Well, I that's, and that's I mean, we go, we fall back on, you know, what's the definition of insanity. And this is the one thing that is always kind of, I fall back on, Hey, Lane, what are you doing? And it's why I just, I hashtag fire lane. I know it's not going to happen. He's not going anywhere, everybody. But I, if something's not working as a coach, wouldn't you think, hey, let me think, what's the problem here? If we're blowing leads at the end of the game, why are we doing it? If we're constantly letting up goals and six on fives when we're up by a goal, why are we doing that? Is it a personnel thing? Is it a schematic thing? What are we doing wrong here? If our penalty kill is terrible, why is it terrible? What are we doing wrong? Again, is it a personnel thing? Is it a schematic thing? And I, I, I'm, almost, I'm always amazed by the fact that he is so loath to change in certain situations, and then he is so jumpy to change in other things. Like, oh, we're having a bad game. Let's jumble all the lines. Okay? Um, you know, Engville had a bad game. Let's bench him. Right? Or he had a turnover. Let's bench him. Barzal, uh, he's had a bad game today. Yeah, it's a tie score. Yes, he's our most dangerous player. But I- I'm benching him. I don't care. I'm putting Cal Clutter back. Like, he'll make those changes. Yet, when it comes to the penalty kill, which is... 29th now, but it's probably only 29th because we played a terrible Pittsburgh and Washington team who can't score on the power play. Yeah. Um, we, we're just like, nope, this is our power play. This is our penalty kill no matter what. I don't care. Uh, yeah. Anders Lee, he's on the end of the game. I don't care. These are the guys that always got it done, so they'll have to figure it out. Rather than ever thinking, maybe those guys have lost a step. Maybe as a coach, I need to put players in a position to succeed. I, I don't, Phil, I'm sorry. I'm yeah yeah I'm, I'm with you and that's the answer he's given time and time again which well these are the guys that that need to get it figured out these are the guys that have done it these are the guys that will do it as opposed to hey maybe julian goche could kill penalties maybe hudson fashion could kill penalties maybe someone else can be involved in these late game situations i don't know yeah i am i'm i'm i want to throw this out at you one player one of the best players at, uh, on our team at Getting the puck, creating a little bit of time and space, and able to get the puck out of the zone. You know, when you see it, is Barzal. Yeah. Because when he gets the puck, with a quick turn or a quick stop, he suddenly creates a little bit of time and space for himself, and he's able to get the puck out of the zone, and he often finds the right player to get the puck out. And it's almost like the coaching staff is still babying him as if he's still a 19 or 20-year-old kid who just will constantly make bad decisions. And I'm just wondering... Do we really think that Matt Barzell is that dumb that he doesn't understand the situation and he won't be effective up by a goal with a minute left? Because I think he'd be incredibly effective. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think the coaching staff is giving him enough credit. I think you're right. He should be out there. I, there's no reason not to try at this point. It can't possibly get worse. <laughs> you have zero empty net goals. You're the only team in the NHL at game 37 that has not potted an empty net goal. It's a shocking stat. I think Winnipeg is like 13 already. I mean, wouldn't the best defense at the end of the game to have a guy on the ice who can actually skate with the puck for a second? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well... Uh, okay, well... Let's I, talk about the blue line. Let's talk about the blue line. Pelic is coming back. Uh, Pelic, uh, yeah, I would assume, given that they, you know... You're not going to schlep a guy out to the West Coast if he's not planning on playing at some point, Steph right? Steph just so, said he expects him back in the next couple of games. Yeah, so between either tomorrow night or at Arizona or Saturday night at Vegas, I would expect him to suit up. It sounded like he participated in drills yesterday on an extra pair with Ajo. So up until now, we I think everyone's been kind of looking at the roster, looking at the amount of people that we have. Someone's got to take a seat. I guess the, the silver line, you don't want to call it a silver lining, but... The issue that was solved yesterday by the Bortuzzo injury, which does appear significant because he couldn't put any weight on his leg, is that Bortuzzo is obviously going to go on IR or LTIR or whatever, and that's going to open up the roster space that they need right now to activate Adam Pellick. I guess the question is, what do you think the D-pairs look like once that happens? Okay, in my... What I would love... Okay. Right, let's just say Pollock's not back till after All-Star break, which I think is probably a good bet. I think that's fair. I mean, it was clear. 12 more games from now till All-Star break. Let's say we get Pellick back on Saturday night, right? If he doesn't play tomorrow night, 
then they're going to go right back to Aho Riley. You're going to have Mayfield with Bolduc and then Romanov Dobbs. And that that's pretty obvious. Well, as long as we have left, right? So that, that has to happen. Okay, so well, let's let's touch on Pollock really quickly. You mentioned, so that was an injury that happened on December 7th where he blocked the shot off his ankle. Uh, you can, you know, you can put two plus two together and figure out that in all likelihood that sounds like a some sort of a broken ankle December 7th. Broken ankle, two months. Two months would take you to about right after the All-Star break, which is February 5th. Uh, exactly. So that that's that's the thought on that process. Now, he's a righty. Pellick is a lefty. Um, I do think that the coaching staff likes to stick to their lefty and righty pairs if they can. Riley, who really can't come out of the lineup, is a lefty, though. Um, you, you suddenly have a glut of lefties, and then the question becomes, do you leave Riley in, and is Bolduc out and Aho in? I would imagine... I would imagine that's what they do. I imagine what they do is... They seem to like Bolduc, though, a lot more than they like Aho. I actually... And you and I don't usually disagree. Um, I know you tweeted out, you know, you're like, oh, why isn't Aho in? I think Aho's terrible. I mean, I think the guy I don't is think absolutely he's good, awful. I, but I think he's more assertive and makes better decisions than Bolduc does. He makes better decisions than Bolduc. And he also brings more offense. He brings more offense than Bolduc. He makes better decisions than Bolduc. He can skate better than Bolduc. He just gets ridiculously overpowered in our zone. It's like he is still, he's like he's still an 18-year-old boy playing with men. I mean, dude, go to the fucking weight room. Like, it drives me nuts. Why is he so light on his face? He just gets overpowered time and time. Listen, I'm not expecting him to grow three inches and put on 30 pounds. But, right. like, you're a man. Yeah, he just gets I, overpowered. I don't, think Bolduc, I don't really think Bolduc plays to his size. I know no, he, he doesn't play to his size, but even if he plays half his yeah. size, he's still bigger. He still plays bigger than Aho. Right. But when you consider, right, so they are now, they were at three righties. They went down to two righties. They traded for Bortuzzo to get back to three. I'm not counting Grant Hutton and all this because he's like the 10th defenseman on the team. And now they're going to be back to two. Right, we're gonna, we, we have to go four lefties and two righties. No we have to go four what. lefties. So but Aho is left, com- more comfortable playing the offside. He could play his offside. So I think what they're, I mean, logically speaking, what they're going to do is Aho with Riley, which is a pair that's had some success. I think I thought they were mostly fine in the games that they played. And if you're going to use them as a bottom, because they were playing second pair minutes, they were playing like 17, 18 minutes a night at five on five for the most part when they were together, because Bolduc Bortuzzo was the bottom pair. And then I think they're going to put Pellick with Mayfield as a really solid defensive pair. You're not going to get a ton of offense out of them, but I think that in the past, it's a pair that's worked for them. That was a pair that they used as their top pair for a large part of 21-22 when Pollock broke his foot back then in that Florida game. Why not? Let me ask you this. If you're going to go there, if you're going to go that way, why not? The Mayfield-Aho pairing early on last year had some success. If you're going to so do you would, that... You would go Pellick-Riley, put Pellick on his weak side with Riley. Well, I mean, I just feel like if you're doing that, you've got Pellick there, you've got Riley... It frees up Riley a little bit more to be offensive. Okay. And then you put Mayfield with Aho, and you've got a little bit more of a... The, the problem with Pellick-Mayfield, and Pellick can move the puck, he can skate, I'm not saying he can't, but I've got a true puck mover on each line. I've got Dobson on one with Rom- Romanoff, I've got Aho on one, and I've got Riley on one. I have a real defensive puck mover on each line. I don't hate it either way, but I think we, we both agree that those are going to be the six once that I would happen. think so, because I just can't imagine a scenario. I mean, the only thing, with, the problem with that is, and this is your Unless they go, they can, they can very easily go Pelic Bolduc if they want to. Yeah, the, the, again, the problem is like, okay, would you rather have Aho on his offside because he's more comfortable doing that? Or are you okay having Pellick on his offside? And that's really a personal thing. Um, I don't know. Um, I have right. not talked to Adam Pellick about this, whether he's this is something he's comfortable or not. Some players love it. Some players are, you know, they just can't do it. They hate it. Um, and, and that's something that I would imagine Pellick and the coaching staff would discuss right now. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, the real interesting thing... Um... But by the way, that's a huge thing. I mean, we talk about the inconsistency of this team. And again, I was trying to stay positive and I went a little bit negative, but I do think, you know, when you look at, at our defense, how could we not be inconsistent? And if Mayfield can play well and stay healthy and Pellick comes back and plays like Adam Pellick can when he's healthy um, and we don't see, you know, bad Adam Pellick, 
this is a huge shot in the arm for this team. I mean, you're suddenly for looking sure. at a team where going, okay, our sixth defenseman is now either Ajo or Bolduc. And that's okay. I can absorb one of them. I just can't absorb three of them. <laughs> yeah. What's going to be interesting come come trade deadline time, and again, I have no idea if Lou's planning on adding or what he's adding or the can size we add? of the ad he's going to make. I mean, you can always add. It's, How? It's, we don't have any. Remember, we were counting on we were counting on accruing cap space. Right. So because, this is the point I'm getting to. Okay, go. Right? Sorry. So, so now all of a sudden, all that Bertuzzo space is, is seemingly, and we haven't had an update yet today, and we'll probably get one tomorrow, is going to be LTIR space. So we're going to be living in LTIR for the remainder of the season, most likely, which means I can very easily see a scenario where they fudge the numbers a la Tampa Bay where you might even see Matt Martin end up at LTIR at some point, right? He plays a couple games, he sprains his pinky toe, and all of a sudden, well, Matt, you're going to be on LTIR throughout. And any injury that comes up is just going to go and accrue into that LTIR pool, and then you are probably going to find yourself in a situation where a couple guys, should they make the playoffs, become activated right around the time when the playoffs are supposed to start, like we saw last year with Mark Stone, like we saw a couple of years ago with Nikita Kucherov. So, is that enough cap space to really acquire anything of worth? It just depends on it depends on who you put in there. I mean, is, there, is there a world where we keep Ryan Pollock on LTIR and really pull a, a We don't know the extent of his injury, right? He hasn't been skating yet. I hope not, because Ryan Pollock is going to be better than anyone you trade for. But I would hope, um, but, but if that's the case, then you have, you know, between Pollock and Bortuzzo, you've got over 7 million in usable space. Uh, from between now and the end of the season. I don't think Pollock's going to be out for the rest of the regular season, though. I, I do anticipate the What's the Okay, so I, I was listening to Steph uh, post-game the other day, and they were talking about, okay, so what's the needs? I mean, let's say Pollock and Pollock come back. Let's say the defense stays, assuming people stay healthy, because that's obviously that is the, that, that's the shoe that could always drop. Somebody gets injured, that's obviously something that Lou needs to address. But the question I ask you is, Assuming people stay healthy, what's the ad? Smart, veteran, middle six forward like Zach Parise who can help out in all situations. Okay, let's say Zach Parise. I truly believe let's, that because right, they, let's they're Let's say Parise comes back. I, they, then you might not be in a position where you're adding. I think you're right. Because because who are you taking out at that point, right? If Parise comes in, logically speaking, you're taking out one of Gautier or Fashin, right? The weaker link there. Which to me lately has probably been fashion. You're not taking out Lee. There's no way they're benching the captain. You're not touching Barzell. You're not touching Horvat. Engvall, you might have a healthy scratch here or there to send a message, but ultimately he's going to be there, as are Nelson and Palmieri if they're healthy. Pajot's going to stay there. Holmstrom can't come out. So at that point, unless you're willing to move Lee down to the bottom line, which which might they move him to the bottom line and, and see if they can upgrade the top line? I don't know. That would be the only thing I could think of in which you would be looking at getting a top six upgrade. Otherwise, they're probably just going to leave it more or less as is. Maybe Zach Parise comes back. If Parise doesn't come back, then maybe you find a, some some other third line forward that you trade for. Uh, but that that would be about it. By the way, speaking of Simon Holmstrom, do you know he currently playing on the third line, not getting power play time? He has the third most goals on our team. 11 goals? He has the third most goals on our team. And yet some people still talk about how, yeah, whatever. <laughs> what, bottom six guy? Who cares? He only has four assists. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing to me. Like, this guy over his career now, I think he's actually just got across the 82-game threshold over his career. He's at 86 games. He has 17 goals and I believe seven No, he has more assists. now, I believe. 11 plus six. He's got 17 goals and seven assists in 86 games. Okay. Which for a 22-year-old is pretty fine. Right, like he's on he's on pace this season for thirty four points, thirty five points, and and twenty four goals. Yeah, I mean he's going to hit twenty. I I have very little doubt that he'll hit twenty. That shot is just too good not to hit twenty. By the way, the end, and he's also had like in that Caps game, he had a pretty good shorthanded opportunity. He he will find himself in positions to score. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see any doubt in that as well. Um, okay, so in terms of the ad, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think a third line player who can kill penalties, basically Zach Parisi, if he if either him or the equivalent of him. Yeah. So you know you can probably get that for. I mean, the nice thing about that is you should be able to get that for you know maybe a third round pick ish, um, and depending on how much money the other team needs to you know hold. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the obvious other name that comes to mind is Adam Henrique. He could play wing, he could play center. Yeah. When you face offs, he could score goals, he plays the penalty kill, plays end of game situations, he plays on the power play too. That would be an interesting player, a person who has history with Lou. I don't know if he has history with anyone else on the team per se, but if you don't get Parise back, I would assume that that's going to be someone who's high on Lou's trade board. Adam Henrique, by the way, is on an expiring deal. He's owed 5.85 5. million. You have retained his 2.9. You can make it work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that. I could see something along the lines. Obviously, uh, I, I imagine that. Lou and Lou and Zach have already been in conversation, and Lou has an idea of whether Zach is going to be coming back or not. Um, sure, I, I would imagine so. Um, okay, so we tried to defense. Let's talk about Engval being benched because somebody pointed this out. So he's now been healthy scratch twice. Um, yep. I will point out in Lane's defense, uh, pointless over the last ten games before last night. He gets benched. He comes back. He heard the message. He scores a goal. Plays a little bit better last night. That's on the on the brights on the on the lane support side where it's hey this is the kind of guy who needs to be sent a message every once in a while. Um, interesting that the message was sent after a five one win rather than a seven nothing loss, but you know that's that's what it is. Engvall does come back and score a goal last night. This guy has now been healthy scratch for two years. Just signed a seven year deal. Uh, your take on that? My take on that is that I thought if you were going to do it, if you wanted to send the team a message. You should have done it after the 7 nothing loss to Pittsburgh. Right? There's your opportunity. Everyone, no one showed up. Players didn't show up. The goalies didn't show up. No one showed up. First period I actually thought was pretty good. All right. Who's been struggling lately? Who hasn't put in the puck of the net? All right, Engvall, you're going to set out against Washington. But then they beat the brakes off of Washington. And then you're going back to Pittsburgh for a game that you really want to win. Again, you and I are, are not of the must-win ilk until it's like a real must-win game. But that's a game you really want to win after giving away the first four-point swing in, in regulation. Pittsburgh is literally and only still in it because of us. Because of us. Because we <laughs> gave them an eight-point swing right there. So to hamstring your second line, to turn it from a good transition line into a line that's going to be more dump and chase because that's just the style that Fashing plays. And Palmieri, I mean, give him full grades for trying to be the guy transitioning the puck, but that's really not what he does. No, Engvall's yeah. the transition guy. Engvall's the transition guy, right? So He's the one who no... brings it in, goes wide, with his speed, and then more often than not, turns toward the boards and finds somebody trailing or goes to the or attacks the middle. That's what Engel right. does in that line. So in a, in a one goal game, I think you you really you really would have liked to have seen Lane put out his best lineup, and he just didn't. So th those are my thoughts. But on he it. sent a message, and Engel comes back and scores the next goal. Scores a goal yeah. in the next game. Come on. It's just an interesting – the thing that's interesting is if there's the whole, like, coaches keeping their players accountable and he's sending a message, why just Pierre Engvall? I mean, if you're going to just send a message, why not send a message when Cal Clutterbuck – I mean, I would assume based on that, Cal Clutterbuck should be benched the next game. Or Matt Barzal could be benched the next game for having a bad game. Yeah, but he – I but, think he just he's, – he's got his guys he picks on. So Engvall is just his whipping boy. It's the Swedes. It was Engvall last – two nights ago <laughs> – Last night it was Aho. He goes after his Swedes. He's not going to go after an American or Canadian. Just wanted to update you quickly that the Islanders now have officially announced that that Robert Bortuzzo has been placed on injured reserve. Look at this. Breaking that, news on the red line. And that they have recalled on an emergency basis Ken Appleby. Yeah, that's another thing I do want to touch on. So Let's talk about that. Let's talk about Steph, that. Yeah. Steph mentioned this. So Varley... Uh, was out, missed the game, a little bit of discomfort, maybe clearly came back too early and, and re-injures or new injury last night, whatever it is. But Appleby mm -hmm. is back up. Varley is out. Steph talked about this. And if you don't follow Steph on Twitter, you're crazy. He's, he's fantastic. Um, we, are, um, we are forever uh, doomed by having a terrible athletic writer, but we are blessed by the fact that we have Steph uh, helping us out on the Islanders. Um, but... The question I have is, so Steph mentioned, hey, does this team now go acquire some goaltender depth? And my question is, how and where? Because every there are so many teams out there. I mean, with Toronto, Trump, yeah, I was thinking about that, too. There's a like lot Toronto just just waved Samson off. Um, yeah. I mean, Buffalo, there are so many they teams out Comrie. there. There are so many teams out there that are desperate, desperate, desperate for goaltending. 
how are we just getting a third goaltender? And for yeah, what? I guess, I guess the question the question is, do you think there's value, and do you think you will get better play from a guy like Michael Hutchinson, who's played what 80, 90 NHL games, versus Ken Appleby, who's never really done it? I think there's I think there's merit to that. Like before the season started, I was looking at a couple guys who I thought could be an interesting person to tandem with Shkarik and Bridge. So we're talking like a Corey have... Schneider type. Like you right. don't really so want I... to play him, but if you need one or two games from him, you got him. Yeah, I thought Ke- uh, Ke- Kincaid, who's done NHL spot duty for several years now, could have been someone who would have been interesting, right? Even like Hutchinson, who who Detroit recently waived. Eric Comrie, but the problem with Comrie is his cap hit is $1.8 million, so you're not going to go claim him or trade for him. It has to be someone who's kind of like on that league bin. Do you call Corey Schneider and tell him, you know, get off the MSG set, get your pads back on, you're coming back here? League, missy, league minimum, anything up to $1.15 million is fine because you can waive that. Yeah, I think the, the, the tragedy in all this is that Shkarik was a pretty high pick from a goalie standpoint, right? They picked him with like the 75th or 76th pick in 18. He had good pedigree coming from Czech League, I want to say. And he's just never really developed. You know, big goaltender. You like a guy with some good size. He was the, you know, the Czech goalie at the World Junior Championship. I think a lot of people were high on him. And he looked good for a period of time with Bridgeport. I know he was the goalie of the month one month last year. And he's just never really established himself as being able to be a guy who could be relied upon for NHL minutes. Appleby, huge goaltender. Right, I, I love me a goalie who fills out some net. I was such a big Robin Leonard fan because of that. They don't need to move so much to make those saves. No, no, and, and today's game, there the butterfly, you know, you, people laugh at the goalies in the 80s and stuff because they're all stand-up goalies. And nowadays, obviously, you know, every goalie is a butterfly goalie. And the value of that, obviously, is, hey, their pads, they cover the entire bottom of the net with their pads. And if they're big, but it, it necessitates a big goalie because if they're big, their shoulders are still at the goalpost. That's right, covering a lot of the net. So Sorokin wears small equipment, plays small. That's why he gets he gets beat up high very often. But listen, I think it's pretty clear, similar to what we'll say about Pollock. I don't expect they're not going to rush for Alamov back after two injuries in a row. It doesn't really matter with the severity. I don't expect him back until at least after the All Star break, and I think that I'm, that might even be wishful thinking. But hope- that's we have fourteen games between now and the All Star break. Twelve, twelve games. Twelve. Okay, we have twelve games between now and the All Star break. We had fifteen last podcast, right? So twelve games. I mean, are we right, the really going to ride Sorokin Var- twelve games? No, there's one back to back in there. I think you're going to have to give a second goaltender, whether it's Appleby or whether you, you know, finagle some sort of minor trade for someone else's, you know, third stringer who you like better. I think you're going to have to give someone one or two starts in there. You're not going to start Sorokin. Sorokin's played, he played four starts in a row. Varlamov started last night and then Sorokin came in. So he's effectively played five games in a row here. I don't see how you play Sorokin 17 in a row, right? What's what's good is that they're going to have a nice nine-day break or 10-day break coming up with the All-Star break. So it's just a matter of like, all right, let's play good hockey. Let's hopefully take care of our goaltender. Let's maybe go into more of a shell, play more defensive like we did at the end of last season. We know we're capable of it and help Sorokin out. I would think 10 starts for Sorokin, 10, two starts for someone else, and then hopefully you get Varlamov back. Now, if this is a situation where he, God forbid, tore his groin and needs season-ending surgery, then you absolutely have to trade for a goaltender, I think. Again, though, I mean, what are you, what are you trading who, for? Who are you trading for? Yeah, I mean, I mean you, know, you, you could talk about you could talk about um, Kapo Kakinen with the Sharks. Right. Then you're, you're talking about trading for someone who's on a team's roster. Right. Like, let me just, I'm just going to pull up a list of like gold, you know, UFA goalies 2024. If you'll bear with me for a minute. No, j- jump on that for a second. And I will talk. So we've got 12 games between now and the All Star break. I, I, I wrote this on Twitter and I did it. I, I, I wrote it before I saw Pelic was coming back, but I still kind of look at it. The bad mm-hmm. loss to Pittsburgh, another bad loss to Pittsburgh. And, and by the way, the Pittsburgh loss, and this is driving me insane. It feels like the coaching staff, the fans, are just have this built-in excuse like, well, it's a back-to-back. Why do we <laughs> suck so like, – I mean, by the way, the Pittsburgh Penguins are an older team than the New York Islanders, okay? And the Pittsburgh Penguins beat them on the second half of a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that one, to me, was one of the worst losses of the season, more than the 7 nothing loss even. Like the 7 nothing loss, yeah, it looked bad, but it's okay. It's one loss. But then after getting your ass beat – to come back 
and lose to the Penguins in that fashion was just so disheartening, especially when they were on the second half of a back-to-back. I mean, you're talking about an extremely old team. Um, I still think the Pittsburgh Penguins are complete frauds. Um, and I did mention that this season, losing Pittsburgh twice and then going into the stretch where you play Colorado, Arizona, Vegas, Toronto, the stretch of games that we have and this road trip that we have, um, I thought this is a slippery slope. And um, it, it could slip away from us very, very quickly. Um, you know, obviously, we're not all thrilled about the point last night, about the game last night, but it was a point. It and, was a point and, in a building where Colorado is now. 17 and four yeah no listen a point is huge i mean in terms of making sure the season doesn't slip away getting a point last night is enormous i mean listen in all fairness you get three points on the road colorado arizona vegas you're you're thrilled yeah and i'm just looking through guys who are going to be go uh, Go ahead free agents next year who might be traded so so cocking in is one that comes to mind when you're at 2.75 mark andre flurry but he's going to be what do you think the trade what 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 I mean, they're not going to give him away. They're not going to give him away. Yeah, mid round. Especially pick. if we're asking, especially if we're asking them to with to retain. Mid round pick, fourth rounder. Yeah, third or fourth rounder. Um, maybe, maybe there's a, you know, maybe they're like Robin Salo. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but really, not not a lot after that. Eric Comrie. I'll put right? a bow on a lot Salo of these. A lot that. of these expiring goalies are on teams that aren't going to trade them, right? Like Laurent Brassois is on Winnipeg. They need him. Right, Martin Jones is on the Leafs. They need him. He's their number one now. Nedeljkovic, Pittsburgh's not trading him. Uh, well, I don't even know trade if he's a free him. agent. That, that trade him. He, he looked like a Vezina the other night. He looked great. I think uh, Reimer is a free agent, but he's been awful this year and, and injured. Ranta stinks. Stolarz, Florida's keeping him. No, I mean these guys. Most a lot of the guys you're mentioning have been waived. <laughs> Some of them have been waived, and and most of them are on playoff teams that want to keep them anyways. Right. Um, so there, you're right. There, there really isn't anything. You, and, <laughs> you might I, be in a saying, position where, where you, you hope that Appleby becomes one of those like career AHL goalies who just, when he steps up to a tougher level of play and it happens sometimes, right? I mean, Appleby, to Appleby's goals. credit, by the way, uh, I think in a two or three game stretch, the New Jersey Devils, he does have like a 1.4 goals against. With he's like got like a, a 945 save percentage. Yeah. I, I mean, he's a big dude. Uh, listen. I'm just wondering, because here's the thing. It's supply and demand. There's not much supply out there. And if you look at the teams that need goalies, you know, Toronto, Carolina, there are good teams out there that have yeah, I'll tell Stanley you the Cup hottest, aspirations hottest that need be. a goalie. Yeah, the hottest commodity is probably going to be Morozik because he's been surprisingly good for Chicago. He's got a 904 save percentage By on the way, team. By the way, will it be hilarious if Toronto gets him? <laughs> Mor- they're, they're not going to trade for Morozik back. But he's on 3.8 million, which makes it tough for most teams. Right, I could to, see Carolina get him back though. He was good for the Canes. It's just so funny. It's so funny how, and and the weird thing is that it's like fans don't understand because they want to scream at that and go, "You need goaltending." See, that's why Lou is so smart. But then they, at the same point, they'll also talk about how Vegas, Vegas had the perfect formula. And you go, wait, you can't have it both ways. You can't criticize Toronto and Carolina because they can't win because they haven't gotten goaltending. Give Lou credit because he has two good goaltenders, and then at the same time give Vegas credit for building a Stanley Cup team and having an amazing formula when they had two of the biggest question marks in goaltending last year that just turned out to be really, really good. Right. <laughs> it's just it's kind of funny because Vegas' goaltending could have just as easily been Toronto or worse. Right. And oh. here's an interesting piece of news. Yeah. Oh, more news. I love news. Go. Yeah, I mean, uh, the LA Kings put Tobias Bjornfoot on waivers. I believe he was the pick one after Holmstrom or one before Holmstrom in that 2019 first round. But you know what? First round picks don't always pan out. They don't. They'll, and they honestly, do. they more often than not, they don't pan out. By the way, if we redraft 2019, um, I do want to point out 2019 was the year Kako was, uh, was picked second overall. Um, where does Holmstrom go? Top 15 pick for sure. 15? I'd say top eight. Let's, let's just go through it real quick. Let me take a look at that draft. I mean, that draft wasn't particularly great. Let's take a look. I need to remind myself who's in there. Yeah, go ahead. Let's, I'm, I'm curious. I'm yeah, going to bring it up as well. We'll end off with this here. But all right, Jack Hughes obviously goes one. I would unironically take Simon over Kako. Uh, Kirby Doc. You Kirby Doc is... I mean, listen, Doc is... Very injury-prone player. Good player, but very injury-prone. Well, I mean, I don't know how good he is. He's really... I mean, listen, they... Uh, 
he lost value right away. I mean, Chicago took him third overall, right? Yep. And then just a couple of years later, traded him for the 13th pick so they could take uh, Nazar, Frank Nazar. Uh, right. So, I mean, so talking talk about lost value right away, then he looked okay at times for Montreal, but com- incredibly inconsistent. He is a big guy, and they expect those big guys to sometimes bloom later on, but then he's got injured. So, it, I, at this point, I'm not sure if I'm taking him over. Bo Byram. Byram, I'm taking over. He Byram is a, is a beast. He's a good player. Okay. You're obviously taking Holmstrom over Tricot. Tricot's been best. a complete, yeah. I mean, that was yeah. one of, everybody thought LA had the this amazing pipeline of youth, youthful, amazing players, and Tricot has just been nothing. Dylan Cousins, uh, Mo Sider, you're taking over Holmstrom, of course, as are you, you, Dylan Cousins for sure. Absolutely. Philip Broberg, no. Trevor Zegris, yes. Although I will say, listen, I'm taking Zegris over Holmstrom, guys. Don't get crazy. But as much as I love watching Zegris play and as, as entertaining as he is, I don't know if he'll ever be on a winner with the, with the way he plays. He's just the kind of guy who'd rather look good and make a fancy play than win. He also played in Southern California, growing up in Southern California, played out here, and that was the reputation of him. When I talked to coaches who coached him growing up here, they all say the same thing. He was a ridiculously elite talent, such a showman, and an amazing player in that regard, but cared more about what he looked like than actually winning a game. Vasily Podkolzin. I mean... Give me, give me Holmstrom. Keep going. Matthew Boldy. Okay, there's one. I'll take Boldy over him. Cam but, York. I mean, you look for the list. I mean, Caulfield. You're taking Caulfield over him? Yeah, I'm taking Caulfield over him. I'm taking... Peyton Cribs? No, maybe. Chris. No, I'm not taking... Not Thompson, not Harley, not Hinala. Uh, I mean, I think Holmstrom is probably somewhere around 10. Yeah, very, very well could be. Just another gem from Lou. Um, hey, I do want to leave this on one thing about Lou Lamorello. Because I, I thought of this analogy, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll say goodbye to everybody. And by the way, everybody, we do thank you for your support. Wish you a happy new year. Hope it's a happy and a healthy. Get everything you want in 2024. If you have any questions for us, uh, we'd love to answer them. Uh, make sure you send Phil or me a, a question. Use the hashtag, the red line, so we know. And uh, we can always address your questions going forward um, on the next podcast. We're here each and every week during the season. I did think this about Lou because... I do think the roster is really underrated. And I feel like Lou is almost like, imagine owning a restaurant and Lou has given the chef just filet mignon, amazing food, right? Maine lobster, filet mignon, just some of the best fish you can get, right? Best food you can possibly have. And for whatever reason, the chef just continues to cook with spam, right? He just uses the spam over and over again. And you're looking going, come on, what is this guy doing? The owner's giving him all these pieces. Let's go. Use the, use the good food, right? But at what point is it the owner's responsibility? At what point is it Lou's responsibility to go into the, uh, the kitchen and go, hey, dude, stop using the fucking spam. And if you're wondering, yes, I'm calling Matt Martin spam. Okay, I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> I love you, Matt. No, I mean, I'm just wondering, at what point is it Lou's responsibility to either say something, and I know that's not his style, but... Yeah. Nothing to add on that. <laughs> no, you said it. You said it beautifully. <laughs> okay, Phil. Uh, big game tomorrow. Big game on Saturday. Everybody, I uh, wish you all happy New Year. Good luck to the New York Islanders, Phil. Thank you so much. Take it easy.